Hello, everybody. Welcome to um, Health Chatter, our public health communications episode. Historically, in our, in our last episode, we had Dr. John Finnegan with us, and um, he recommended um, a theme of communication as kind of a, uh, a necessary thing that we should be chatting about. So guess what? We're going to chat about it today. With us, uh, we have um, a couple of great people from the um, from the community and also the the health um, medical field and, and media, and along with our my esteemed colleague, uh, who's my co-host. I'm Stan Shandling. Been in this arena for too long, <laughs> forty plus years. Um, so I figured we I had something to chat about, as well as my um, my colleague um, Clarence Jones, um, who I can't say enough about. He's, uh, he's been really super. And then we have um, our background people who, without them, we wouldn't be successful at all in carrying out this podcast. So I'll introduce them as Maddie Levine-Wolf and uh, Aaron Collins, are our research people. Um, Matthew Campbell is our production lead. Again, without them, us who are a little on the older end and don't have all the logistics and technology behind us would be lost. So thank you. Thank you to you. Today, we have um, two great guests, two great guests, and one I've known. I'll let Clarence introduce one, and I'll introduce one. How's that sound, Clarence? That sounds great. Um, Arkel Giorgio and I go back quite a ways. Um, and every engagement that that we've been in, involved with has been um, exciting and vital and um, innovative. And um, all these years, I've I've greatly greatly appreciated her um, her insights and her frankly her communication energy, which um, she has carried as as a, a torch. Presently, she's the uh, the chief health officer at Starkey Hearing, and so that's 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 an interesting twist, you know, based on on your background um, before this. She was at United Health, where we we connected for for years, and also she is um, nationally recognized in the uh, the medical arena, in the media arena. She's on KSTP, their medical advisor, so you can see her on on television. And so a wonderful, indeed, wonderful, wonderful colleague, Clarence. Thank you, Stan. So I have the honor of introducing Sean Lewis. And I was saying a little bit earlier that uh, whenever I talk to Stan, and Stan's introducing me to some people that he knows. He's always talking about he's known him for 20 years, 30 years, those kinds of things. And uh, I just want to let him know that today I have someone on the show that I've known for 20 years. His name is Sean Lewis, and he is uh, currently uh, a new project coordinator at the Minneapolis uh, Parks Foundation. But uh, Sean is also known in the community as the Minister of Information. And what does that actually mean? That means that Sean sends out so much information about current events and things that are impacting the community that people look forward to his emails because they're, they're informative, they are... Uh, they're up to date 
And uh, I've been known to uh, ask him for some information. And all of a sudden, there's a whole flood of, of information that's coming to me. Now, that's probably because he is also a librarian. <laughs> and so he has this background of information. And so in today's world, it's important to have people like him. And so I'm excited to have Sean uh, here today. He's also done a lot of work in terms of uh, workforce engagement. But I think the, the key piece for me was that I was excited to have him here because Sean can talk to the issue of what we're talking about, which is this issue around communication and why is it so important? And then how does that information affect the community? And uh, how does this new wave of false information or fake information or whatever it is, is causing us to uh, not be as critical in terms of our thinking about health issues. So that's that's my introduction, Stan, and I think I'm gonna turn it back over to you. Thanks, thanks. And thank you both for being with us. This is this will be a, a great session. So, you know, when I think of, of communication, it's a huge umbrella of, of, of topics per se. And then there's arenas within within communication of which health falls under it. So just from from your perspectives, how do you perceive or define for yourself health communication? I'm happy to start. So first of all, thanks for having me on this. And I think communication is my favorite topic because I think it's one of the most important and the most ignored elements of healthcare. So to me, uh, health communication is communicating health information in a way that translates very complex health concepts into a language that the general public can understand and act on and feel like they have a good grasp on. I don't think it's much more complicated than that. Um, so defining health communication isn't hard. Accomplishing it is very challenging. Yeah, okay. I agree. Sean, what do you think? What's your sense of health communication, especially from a, you know, a community perspective? Where, where are you coming from on that one? Well, I'm going to use some of the stuff that uh, I got in training in financial literacy and apply it to, to health literacy. And it's it's three components. You know, when I think of health competence and I think of having the knowledge, skill and ability to make sound health decisions for you and your family. And then I think of health capability combines both the ability to act which is like having the knowledge and skill with the opportunity to act, having access to quality health products and services. And then finally, I will think of health confidence, which to me is having the self-reliance to make ongoing best choices for you and a family, given the resources specific to your situation as your life circumstances change over time. So. Those are the three buckets that I like to think of in terms of health literacy. So I've I've taken what I've learned from financial literacy and applied it to the to the, the rubric of, of health. You know, um, I've come to to realize in um, my career what's what's embedded in communication are um, cultural values. So how is it that you want to receive? The information? How is it that you're comfortable in getting the information? Who are you comfortable getting it from? And how is it that it, it becomes part of the 
communication aspects of health that you always carry in your pocket. I think that that has changed. I think that has changed quite a bit some. And I think, you know, to your point, Sean, I think that those are, are certainly the points that you bring up certainly ring true on how it is that we, we kind of forge ahead with it. Um, if you become more academic about it, you know, you could, you could call it, you know, health education, you can mm -hmm. call it, you know, health advocacy, you can call it risk communication, you can call it a crisis communication, which we've been involved with um, as it relates, for instance, to COVID. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, this health issue hits us and it kind of, it kind of forces us to assume communication messages almost instantaneously. And for most of us, we haven't been in that arena. We really haven't been there. So, yeah, I want to say uh, something Sam, yeah. real quick. Yeah, okay. I I really like your explanation. I mean, your 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 simplistic simplistic explanation of health communication. But I want to ask you this: uh, in your work, why has it become so complicated? Well, the language of healthcare is complicated. Now, there are many other issues in addition to that. But let's just start with the basics. I mean, I've been I've been a health communicator in the media since. 2007 and before any of this pandemic. And I can tell you it's been complicated with every single one of 2000 segments that I've done because the language of healthcare is not a layperson's language. Right. And so let's just start there and layer on top of it, fear, politics, uh, confusion, lack of information amongst all of us about a new virus. And it becomes really, really challenging. But I would, I actually, if I could, since I have the floor, yeah, yeah. let me go back. And um, so I'm, I am a pretty simplistic thinker. I think clarity for me is really important. And I'll just tease apart this concept of health communication. And then the comments that Sean said um, uh, a little bit differently, which is to say that at least the way I look at it, health communication is what the communicator does and health literacy is what the receiver of the information hopefully uh, achieves. And so if I, I, so I think that they're different, right? Achieving health literacy is the goal of health communication, but I, I do think that they're different. And so as we go through the conversation, I might continue to um, separate those two into two different buckets. You know, I'd be curious, um, how you create that balance, like for instance, when you do a um, a media show on on television, how is it that you you know how is it that you you deal with the question of how can I make my audience more health literate on whatever thing you you happen to be talking about, and how is it that you can hope that whatever you tell them will be embraced? Well, the latter is harder than the former. I can tell you what my preparation is. So my segments are between three and a half and four minutes long. Um, sometimes they will extend to about six minutes. And I can tell you that for as long as I've been doing this, and I'm pretty experienced, for every single minute that I am on TV, it takes me an hour of preparation. And I believe it. And so I, I think the, the most important answer to your question is time. I mean, it, it is not, it's not just... Um, 
saying whatever's on the top of your head and then letting it come out because you're educated enough to know the answer. It's really being thoughtful about the words that you use, the examples you use, how you paint a picture, uh, apply, uh, use metaphors that people can relate to. That takes time to yeah. figure out. Yeah. So Sean, let me ask you a question because I, I think that this is a great thing to do. When you communicate with the community and you send out information to the community, uh, tell me about the uh, responses that you get when people are not necessarily understanding what you're what you're sending out, and how do you help people to get to that next level in terms of of the health issue that you're trying to talk about? Yeah, some people. You know, you can get no response. You can get responses that, you know, thank you for the information or that this is great information um, or that this is so timely. And usually if I have a chance to talk to the person in person, I kind of ask them, you know, where do you work? What are you doing? What are you interested? And I can very quickly discern what information may be of interest to them. So it, it's it's got to be. Of, of interest to them, either personally or professionally. And then, um, you know, one of the methods of communicating is by email. And I'm, and I'm very intentional about what's on that subject line, because I believe most people, um, if, if, if they don't recognize the person who they get an email from, they f default to the subject line. And the subject line has to be enough to make them want to read the email. I'm always shocked by other people's email communication. Like here it is, there it is. And it's just like, no, 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 no. You're just throwing people <laughs> off. <laughs> right. And they, they're not aware they do it. I'm aware they do it because that's not out of the way I would want to re receive the information. And so usually um, I, I just have a gift maybe working in multiple libraries that I have a knack of finding something unique that they normally would not run across and they find it informative. You know, that's the that's one of the keys with with um, with communication is the idea of good, solid information. Really, it, and and that's 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 really the the that's really the crux of it. Let me give you an illustration. So I've been in the cardiovascular arena for you know a long time, and um, we've been trying to. We still are trying to get people knowledgeable about blood pressure. Blood pressure. So I'll give you an, an illustration, a story. I, I remember distinctly uh, speaking to a group of CEOs. There might have been about 50 of them in, in the audience at the time. And I asked them this question how many of you know what a normal blood pressure is so you know most people will raise their hand and they'll say 120 over 80 okay okay then the next if i if i simply follow that up with another question does anybody know what that means And this was the answer that one person, one, one of the CEOs stood up and asked and answered me. He said, I don't care what it means. As long as it's that, then I run like a thief. 
<laughs> now that's interesting. Okay. Now, if you know, if you go deeper, you know, as far as information that you share with people, you know, systolic, diastolic, etc. And if you really go deeper and tell them that it's measured by millimeters of mercury, they look at you like you have beans in your head. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and even the younger people will say, what do you mean it's, it's measured by millimeters of mercury? It's measured digitally. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So therefore we run into these problems of how we obtain the information, what it means to us and how we process it going forward, I think is an important attribute for um, communication and how we go about doing it going forward. There are a million other illustrations of this. The other thing that I want your response to, and Arkel, you can, you can respond to this, is uh, how many of the, all these messages that mm -hmm. we have out there, should we expect that everybody embraces? Mm-hmm. Think about them. Put your seatbelt on. Eat this. Don't eat that. Mm -hmm. COVID. Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Get mm -hmm. vaccinated. Don't get vaccinated. Yeah, et cetera, et cetera. It's like after a while you go into information overload. Go ahead, Arco. So I want to go back to your blood pressure example. Uh, one of the other roles I play is that I teach anatomy at the Carlson School to MBA students who are planning to go into the healthcare industry. So they don't need to learn anatomy well enough to be a doctor, but they need to learn it well enough to be able to navigate the medical device world, maybe, or an insurance company. And so I teach them the basics and um, cardiac is a, a really long unit that we have. And of course I talked to them about blood pressure and just like um, actually that most of them don't even know what a normal blood pressure is. And they certainly don't understand what it means even when I tell them that, you know, less than 120 over 80, but instead of beginning to explain diastolic and systolic and millimeters of mercury, I, um, they may start out thinking, do I really care? But once you explain it and why it matters, they do care. Yeah. So, you know, this is just my style, but I sort of describe it as, um, I mean, I won't go through it here, of course, because we all know what a blood pressure is, but you know, when you're, when your heart is contracting against the high pressure, think about, I make them actually squeeze a tennis ball. It's like every heartbeat is a mini workout. Think about how stressful and how much work you're making your heart go through. And so begin to give them a visual of why it matters and why it matters that you understand if it's 140 over 90 versus 120 over 80. And so I think that we need to catch ourselves and not um, thinking that it's the academic explanation that they need, but what they need is an explanation of why does it matter and why does it matter to you? Which okay. really gets back to my to the question I was going to ask you is that with the example that's, that, that, that Stan talked about is where have we failed at communication? I mean, you know, I mean, there, there are, as we talked about here, there are some very basic things that we need to know what have, where have we failed? Where have we not met the mark as it relates to sharing information with people in our communities about these various issues? You know, that's, you raise an interesting question, Clarence. You know, I, I remember, you know, if you want to look at uh, 
media outlets, the, the networks, they were independent operations. You know, ABC is owned by Disney. CBS is owned by Westinghouse. Um, I think NBC is, is General Electric. But, but, but they were in the business to report the news, not be the news. And I think we often relied upon those media outlets, those journalists to, to give us fair and impartial reporting. And then there's a, a shift took place where other programs came on media and, you know, they weren't concerned about, you know, good journalism. They weren't concerned about um, uh, information that have some integrity and that could be verifiable. And, you know, I remember the shift that ABC did when their show Good Morning America moved from the news division to the entertainment division. So that cut them out of some of the stuff that was going on. And they would talk about that. But it was definitely wrote out as this is more entertaining. Their show's ratings were great because you find out people want to be entertained. But we've kind of lost our way in, in what we expect from um journalists and, and media outlets. And, and I don't see that coming back soon. And even though, you know, the public airways are owned by the, the people, um, they're not owned by these broadcasters, they just use the medium. But so I think we lost some of that. Yeah. Sean, I, I agree with you. I think we've lost a lot of it for another reason as well, which is that there just isn't as much investment, uh, in the reporters and having enough reporters to do the due diligence on topics that it takes for mm -hmm. them to be able to report. So they take a press release and they just spit it back out verbatim because mm -hmm. they don't have time to do much more. And mm -hmm. so we've seen a lot of that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, do you think, you know, I'll pose this as, as a question here. Do you, do you think that different populations and different age groups resonate to different types of communication differently. You know, there's one piece you're leaving out. You said populations, age groups, but you know, if you add one more criteria or one more thing, point of analysis, um, political ideology. Yeah, yeah. You know, there there are those people who say, "Hey, I'm I'm a Republican, I'm a conservative, and I strongly identify with Fox News, and that's what I'm going to tune into, and I'm not going to listen to anything else." And then there's other people who say, "I'm a liberal, and I'm a Democrat, and I'm going to, you know, tune into CNN or another network, and that's what I'm going to listen to, and and I'm not going to listen to anything else." And you know, I, I guess fortunately, as someone who has a degree in political science, we were told that we had to hear the opposing points point of view to understand where they were coming from and what was their argument. So I listened to both and I see shortcomings in both and, and I, I get sick in both sometimes because I can pick out their biases, you know, about what they do. It makes me so sad that health communication has come to that. I can understand yep. international uh, issues, domestic policy issues, all of those, but Biology does not change by the party that you affiliate with. Correct. Way. And I think it's just so unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, it is. It's, it's sad that you, you, you felt there were trusted sources out there, you know, like the Center for Disease Control. 
And then you watch how people are um, attacking them or attacking, um, I'll just say it, Dr. Fauci. And it's, it's you know, you these people who are scientists, they operate with a sense of ethics and they're trying to communicate the best information at the appropriate time. And people go right there and question their credibility. Like they know more than them and they certainly don't, but they sure position themselves that way. And they, they're by constantly attacking them and putting them under assault, it, it, it erodes their, their, their credibility in terms of taking probably a half statement, what they say and twisting it. So it's sad because it puts us all at risk. It compromises communication integrity. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but, but, but let's, let's look at this from a different perspective. The, The perspective that I think about is it's very difficult sometimes to establish trust when the narrative keeps changing, mm-hmm. even from the same people, you know, I mean, you know, one, one day, one month, it's this, the next month, it's that you can say, use a wear a mask. Not you don't, don't wear a mask. You know, how do we become, uh, talk about how do we become literate enough to know how to distinguish between, uh, in narratives in conversation, recognizing the fact that, you know, uh, when people present information about health, people usually uh, present it like, yeah, this is a solid fact. This is this is this is something that uh, will never change. But then the next month it changes. How do we help people to understand this whole issue and, and, and why things are are shifting so rapidly? And how do we help them to understand how to make informed decisions? I mean, that's what I that's what I'm concerned about. How do you help people to make informed decisions? You know, Clarence, I I agree with you. If we talk about coffee or chocolate, like one month they say eat it, the next month they say don't eat it, right? So <laughs> I get that frustration. But so bottom I, line, eat it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I think that that the conversation around COVID has to be put into a different category because okay. information was evolving and emerging real time, and I, I hope that their guidance one month was different than their guidance the next month because the science changed, the information changed. And, and I think we, we need to put that one in a different category. Yeah, and I that's think- a, that's, that, that's a great, that's a great point. If that was the narrative at the front, I mean, where people would understand that things would be changing, but I, I think many times things were, were, were put out as, as absolute facts. And so therefore you had a lot of people who were, uh, they were expecting one thing. They were trusting. They were expecting one thing. Then it, it changed again. So I'll, I'm I'm for the science. So don't get th- don't think that I'm not for the sciences. So just so you know that. But I do. I just I just believe as a community person, this is what I what I expect. I would expect in in a, in a topic like that that someone would say this is a evolving topic, and this is this is what we what we what we know at this point. Uh, there might be something that different that something different might come up a little bit later, but that's just because we're learning more. And many times it's not presented like that. It's like this is it, you know, for this month, and next month is going to be something different. So I just I just think that there's a a challenge for 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 professionals in order to understand how people are uh, hearing, seeing, and thinking, believing those kinds of things. Could be wrong, you know. That's why this and- is health. That's why this is health chatter. <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> In um, in my lifetime, I certainly cannot recall an immediacy of a situation like we've seen with 
COVID. Okay, I, I really, I really can't. Um, and all of a sudden, you're barraged with with communication and messages, and it forces us to do the public to do their own personal risk assessment on a daily basis. Okay, think about that. How many times have you ever been dealt that that set of cards? Not very often. Now, the other thing about this, the immediacy of a situation like uh, like COVID, is balancing it and against major causes of diseases in the United States. Guess what? More people die from you know heart disease and stroke. Mm-hmm than ever, you know, from, from COVID in, in, in the United States. Yet, you know, there's an immediacy of a situation. We've learned to live, in quotes, with um, cardiac issues, for instance, or stroke issues. It's become part of, of who we are as human beings. But all of a sudden, you throw us this, this curveball called COVID. It's like, Wait a minute. Hold the fort. We're going to put all that stuff aside because we have an immediacy of a situation here and we have to be communicated about it accordingly. It's hard. It's 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 really? a, it's a hard 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 nut to crack. So let me let me ask um our guests what should we focus on? What should we really, really focus on going forward here? Um, I could tell you at the health department, we're hiring a couple of communication um, staff. And I would ask them that question. I mean, it's just like, what should we be focusing on Mm -hmm. Um, as far as messages, as far as methods, et cetera, in order to assure success? And let me add to that, Stan, because I want to I want to add to this. How do we increase health literacy? That's all part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it really it, it really is about how do you help people evaluate the information that they're confronted with, whether it's on television, uh, social media or or other forms of media. You know, how do you help them understand, you know, how to critique something, you know, where, where is, is a source credible? Is, is it, is it fact or is it fiction or is it half truth? You know, those type of reasoning skills, deductive skills, inductive skills, you know, helping people be critical thinkers and evaluators of information, which probably in some schools we teach, but many most schools we don't, but I think it would be helpful. Yeah. Arkel, what's your thought about this? Yeah, I would say that, I mean, I've never worked in the health department stand, so I apologize if I get this wrong, but (laughs) from reading public health communication is that there's, you strive so hard to be politically correct, academically perfect, um, grammatically correct. You're not communicating in a way that communicates with people. Right. And so the first thing that I would do is to think, like what what message do we want to get out and and what's the best way to frame it with visuals with words whatever the communication vehicle is to communicate it effectively ultimately at the end of the day is you need to communicate um why does this matter 
And what does this mean to you? And what can you do about it in language that people can put their arms around and embrace and feel like they can own? But yeah. um, I can't tell you how many times, I mean, I'm a physician and I have sat down with whether it's mass guidelines or immunization guidelines and had to recraft a chart mm -hmm. just to, so I could translate what the CDC was mm -hmm. saying. I mean, that's, that isn't effective communication. Right. It's not effective. And I, I love that. I really love that topic because even for me, I, I think that part of, 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 uh, of the challenge sometimes is just sometimes that the person with the highest title may not be the person that you want to be conveying your message. Right. You know, I mean, I, I mean, that's why I asked Sean the question. I mean, because there, there's sometimes information comes out, you know, some, some, some person has conveyed it, but it's not necessarily the most effective way of getting information out. So people go back and challenge that. And so we have to go back and we have to just kind of, as you just talked about, Arkel, we have to go back and reframe it so that it, it that it can be understood. And I think that part of what I, as a community, and I'm, I'm only speaking as a community member, you know, I'm not an academic person. I'm not a researcher, you know, those kinds of things. But I, I just believe that it's important for people to be as as straightforward and upfront and honest about a situation as it is. I think that the communication, we get to be very technical and we think that we're conveying messages, but sometimes it's just not effective mm -hmm. and it creates more drama than than is necessary. There are people that really want there are people that really want to do the right thing, but if you don't tell it to them in the right kind of way in a language that they can can, can hear, uh and if you don't feel as a as a as a, uh, a a messenger that you have the responsibility to convey a message uh, effectively, then we will continue to have miscommunications like we have been having around public health. And it's sad. It saddens me because public health is so important. You know, has always been important, but it's even more important now. You know, Clarence, when you talk about this, I think about the work we've done with barbers, African-American barbers, where mm -hmm. it is a place, the barbershop, and then it, it is a, a messenger, the barber, that has a an average of a seven-year uh, relationship with the client in cutting their hair. And, you know, you develop a rapport between the barber and the client. You... Um, you 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 trust each other and 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 when you kind of know that you trust that person they understand you and you understand them you know you you follow that barber or it could be a beautician wherever they go because they know you you know them they kind of can anticipate what you might say or might do and they kind of know what you want and you're sitting there just in a space where you're 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 compensating and so the thing that I enjoyed about doing stuff with barbers is historically they were barber surgeons. They were people who would, you know, bloodletting, pulling teeth, removing bullets. You know, you look at the pole, the the red for the blood, the blue for the veins, the white for the the galls, and and you know there are people that are in your life, whether it's a barber, a beautician, or best friend or a relative, that you just will trust them because you figure they have your best interest at heart. You know, I, I know, Sean, you you brought this up, you know, the politics of it all. Um, and I'm going to link that back to what Arkel was saying, you know, from from public health. 
I believe that public health is handcuffed because of politics. Okay. Like what can you say and what can you not say? Mm -hmm. And you know what, what's really in, in my mind pathetic about that is it should health related issues should not be handcuffed period. I mean, everybody, I don't care what political persuasion you're coming from, what color of the skin, what population you are. It doesn't matter. We're all in this health game together. And so it shouldn't be handcuffed. There should be honest communication going forward. Why it's that way is where I believe the fact that it is that way. I believe if we were to break through that wall, somehow with with good creative people nationwide i believe that we'll get somewhere as far as good health communication that people will feel confident about you know stan during the pandemic oh, stan and clarence i didn't mean to that's okay i'm good sorry about that um i faced one moment where i had a huge ethical dilemma in what I was going to communicate. And I'll pose the issue here and um, I'd love the reaction. So in a short period of time, we had the Moderna vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine and mm -hmm. the J&J &J vaccine. And there was a message coming from, you know, everywhere from national down to every state's public health department that said, get whatever vaccine you can, they're all the same. Mm. They weren't all the same, they weren't. Right. And I really struggled with, am I going to carry the party line and say, they're all the same when I knew, I mean, the data was right there. They were not all the same. <laughs> and so um, I, I don't, ultimately, I, I said it in a way that laid out the data and said, this one, you know, has a 76% efficacy rate versus with mm -hmm. this one, which is 93 or 94%. And I didn't draw a lot of attention to it because I didn't want to create any drama or get misaligned with public health mm -hmm. authorities, but, but it was hard. And so I guess my question to this group is, um, you know, sometimes politics can, gets in the way, but like, what are the ethics of a situation where we have a pandemic, we have three vaccines? No, they're not all the same, but if you say they're not all the same, then there's going to be a rush to the ones that are better. How, what do we do? How do, how do we handle that? You know, you know when, I, I understand that because yeah. in many ways there, there's a lot of, of issues that fall into that same category, Arkel. But if you take vaccine as an illustration, I take it up a notch. I don't get I don't get it down and dirty, this one, this one, or this one. I say vaccine, get vaccinated. Okay, that is the, 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 the real message. You know, then it becomes personal risk where people can make their their own decision but what does vaccination do for you as it relates to this in this case to COVID okay without getting into efficacy or anything it's just vaccination do it okay I, yeah. I get it I get it Stan but but here here's where some of the distrust <clears throat> came in because Public health authorities said they're all the same, get vaccinated. And yeah. now we know that they're not the same. And right. that is driving some of the distrust, right? Because a, a lot of people that got that J&J &J vaccine are feeling like they have been left behind and they were misled. Mm. And that's 
that's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I can't disagree. Go yeah. ahead, Clarence. Yeah, I, I was gonna say that that drives the 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 thinking for me is that when we get into those kinds of situations, it it it's it's about everybody wants to be the the uh, the uh, the big winner on the block, but it's also about the money. I, I you know as when I when I get into those kinds of situations, I'm thinking about you know what is the what is the real impact of why are people pushing this like this, and I think that's why people uh, don't necessarily trust some of the information that comes out because there's so many conflicting things about it. I think about you know you want you want to address this issue, but what's your real motive behind it? Oh, so the you in the I, okay. So I, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the, the 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 vaccine makers. I'm thinking about people want you know everybody wants to to be the one that that uh, has the most effective vaccine. So people are pushing their narratives. Uh, I think that that uh, the health professional want the communities to be safer, so they're pushing their narratives. And I think it's very difficult sometimes for people who are looking at those kinds of things. Like I'm talking about myself now. I'm listening to this. I'm saying like. So what's the real agenda here? You know, I know, just as you just said, I know that, th that, that they're not the same. Why are you pushing it so hard? I think that's where a lot of the mistrust comes in for a lot of people is that people can recognize the differences, as you just stated. People understand that, that it is still an important issue, but why are you pushing so hard is what, what causes people to stutter and to have hesitancy about these things. You know, it's interesting as if you compare it to other vaccines, mm -hmm. you know, when you go and get vaccinated for whatever, do you ask what manufacturer? No. No. <laughs> yeah. You don't even think about it. Okay. I need a, you know, a tetanus shot. Okay. Give me a tetanus shot. I don't, I have no clue. Right. I have no clue who the manufacturer is, but again, I think um, in this case, Unfortunately, it was the immediacy of the situation, mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, many people were getting sick worldwide. People were uh, being hospitalized and you were seeing it in real time, either personally, you know, friends and, and family that were, were getting sick or real time on television and, you know, getting being interviewed, you're seeing interviews with physicians, et cetera, in emergency rooms and hospitals all around the country. And you, and you get barraged with the, um, the importance of the, of the, of the issue at hand. And so it kind of brings it up a notch for, for people to say, okay, what the hell do I do now? Mm -hmm. So I can't participate in a podcast without getting a little bit controversial. So good. We like that. So <laughs> I, like I hope that when you gave the example, Stan, of saying, well, when you get a tetanus shot, do you ask what manufacturer it is? And the answer is no. And I hope you don't think that the answer should be no, because as an individual who's written a book about people speaking up and knowing exactly what medical care they're getting, um, I believe that we've moved into a moment where finally people are asking what manufacturer is it? And finally people are asking what the rates are because we don't need to be in a paternalistic world where we just have to listen to what the authorities say and then go in and blindly get it. So 
I know you weren't saying that, Stan. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't saying that. Here's, here's here, let me give you a perfect illustration. So I had to have a you know um, a vaccination the other day. I went in, you know, I had you know a checkup on my doc, et cetera, and and he basically said to me, and he's a great doc, and he said, Stan. You need your your tetanus diphtheria, you know, because you know the last time you had it was I don't know whatever it was. Was I at that point, you know, pushing back on you, Arkell, a little bit? Was I at that point supposed to say, "Hold the fort"? I want to go home first and read the research on all the different all the different vaccine manufacturers for this, and then I'll come back and get it based on the fact that I want to get this tetanus shot from this manufacturer. I could guarantee you, I, I'll go out on a ledge, I can guarantee you that most people say, okay, just give me the shot. Okay. But is that right? Is that the right? I'm not saying it's right. Okay. Um, and inform, being informed, um, to be blunt takes time. I know. It takes time. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, people say, ah, give me the shot, you know. Tetanus, tetanus shots have been around a long, long time. Okay, just give it to me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have one question that is, was in the chat, and this is the question that was asked. Was the reaction to vaccine the same with polio? Did the, mm, good question. Yeah. No. I just don't know. You know, here's a, I, I don't know the answer to that either. But here's, <laughs> this is what drives me nuts, you know, about vaccines in general. You know, a lot of younger parents who have, uh, you know, new kids or whatever, um, they'll say, I'm not going to get my kid vaccinated for blah, 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 because I've never seen it. I don't even know what the hell it is. Okay. So why should I, you know, give this to my kid? And then we as professionals, you know, what we do, we turn around and say this. The reason you have, don't see it is because of the fact that people, smallpox, you know, were vaccinated around the world and uh, to the point of where it, it's almost literally eradicated. Okay. So there's been successes, but, you know, how, how populations of people embrace success if they've never seen whooping cough. Or they've never seen polio, or they've never, you know, all these, all these. Hello, you know, welcome, welcome to you know science. Yeah. Well, you know, we get into the end of the show, and I, I want to make sure that we do some concluding uh, comments and things like that. And I know that we've had a lot of conversations about uh, communication. Where do you think we should go from here? I mean, based on all the, and this is a, this is the kind of world I like. I'm I'm, I'm a looper. So I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I mean, all these kind of, I'm like, oh man, I'm just, I'm just, it's just like, I'm cherry picking all this kind of stuff. But where do we go from here? This whole idea about, about, you know, what is it, what is the role of the community? What is the role of the media in terms of where do we go from here in terms of this issue around uh, health communication? I think we need to have more discussions about it and see it in different venues, whether it's podcast radio, television, articles, and, you know, get people to think more deeply, you know, about it. Okay. Arkel, what do you think? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it up a notch um, and say that I think that 
we expect people to care about their health, understand the language of health when they're adults. And mm. um, I, I think that we've made a big mistake by not starting to educate much earlier around health. Mm. We teach math and science and English and we don't, you know, your our health, the health of any nation is its biggest economic asset. Absolutely. We don't start teaching about health until somebody's 40 and has high blood pressure or low back pain or whatever they had. And so it's a big, bold statement, but I, I, in my deepest soul, in my deepest soul, like location, I believe that what the, the best thing that we can do is start educating young children around health, how their body works, why it's important to be healthy um, and have it be part of how they approach life as opposed to waiting until they're adults and trying to explain why they need to get their blood pressure down. Yeah, I can't agree more. I mean, if we're really talking about the idea of prevention, that's where it really sits. It really sits with um, how it is that we can uh, educate our youth. And it's not from a dis disenfranchised FIAD teacher that teaches health education. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's who taught me. You know, when I was, you know, when I was a kid, okay, it's got to be more curriculum based. It's got to be um, a priority. Yeah, it really does. No, I, I can't agree more. Clarence, I, I, what's your feeling on it? Well, you know what? I, I, I think Dr. Kell, you, you, you hit it on the head. I, I, I'm very much an advocate for young people. For intergenerational education is what I'm for. I think you got to talk to old folk too. You know, but I'm very much for the whole idea about us working uh, intergenerationally in terms of making our community and our families healthier. So I think that what you're saying is very correct. And we have to, as you just said, I think we have to to expect people to be responsible and to know more about their health. So, yeah, I'm uh, with I'm with that. Yeah, this has been great. I want to thank our, our our guests, our Cal Giorgio. Keep smiling, and I know that smile will be even even bigger when uh, you become a grandmother again. So <laughs> uh, that'll be that'll be great, Sean. It's been absolutely a, a pleasure meeting you, and hopefully yeah. soon I'll be able to have a cup of coffee with with you. It'll be sure. a, a pleasure to do that for all our listeners. Um, Thank you for, for joining us and stay tuned because our next podcast will be on health and war. What implications does a war have on health? So with that, keep health chatting away. Mm -hmm.